Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Back to Basics. My guest today is Leah Pinelli. She's a life coach on a mission to teach others how to crack the code on their relationship with food and weight and to teach them how to create harmony between their brains and their bodies so that they can lose weight from a place of love. How beautiful is that? Hello, Leah, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hi, Leticia. Thank you so much for having me. No, this is excited. And I have never had a life coach on the show with your specific focus of weight loss, which I think it's so needed and it's something that it touches all of us at one point or yeah. the other. But uh, yeah. I know that like with any journey, you probably didn't start being a life coach. So tell us about the origin story, where you're from, and I'm usually interested about what were you passionate about as a, as a young Leah? Oh, interest. Oh, gosh. I don't know if I should. <laughs> That's like a whole other story. Um, but yeah, no, I um, my background is actually in education. So I, I was a high school educator for 15 years. I was a teacher and also an administrator and a coach. And when I was pregnant, actually, with my son, I was a... Uh, assistant principal of a high school. And I just knew at that time that I did not want to be an administrator once I had my son because it's a demanding job. And um, not only that, but when the you know fire alarm goes off at two in the morning, they call you and you have to get out of bed. And, you have to, and I'm like, I'm not going to want to do that with a baby. So at that time, you know, I knew I, I wanted to return to the classroom and I had an opportunity to teach not go back to teaching. I was a Spanish teacher. I had an opportunity to not go back to teaching Spanish, but instead they said, you can really create any elective you want if you're interested. And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. So I created a course. It was originally called Girl Rising. And it was a course just for students who were female identified. And it was a space for them to come. And I taught yoga and meditation in that course, but I also, it was really about creating a space for girls, a safe space for girls to come and to talk about all the stuff that teenage girls don't really ever get to talk about with adults, meaning, you know, like what's going on with my body and is this relationship healthy? And, you know, all these things that, you know, girl on girl hate, there's so much, you know, negativity between girls. And so just having a space to come to and really examine their lives in this way with a, a trusted adult. So I created this course. I loved it. It was the best three years that, that I got to teach that course. But what I found was that I didn't really have the tools to help the girl, to teach the girls how to navigate their own lives. So I could give them my opinion all day long, right? I could be like, oh, you need to dump him. And you know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. not good enough for you. And But like, that's not actually helping them identify what kind of relationship they really do want to be in and moving towards creating the life that they deserved um, as young, young women. Um, and so I, I did a little investigation. I thought about, well, should I, you know, go back to school? I already had a master's degree, but should I go back to school? But, and then I learned about life coaching and I thought, oh, these are actually the, this is the skill set that I want to give to these girls. 
which a life coaching is essentially helping you make better decisions in your life so that you can get the results you want. So I went to training and I became a life coach and I brought those tools back to my girls and it was great. That job, unfortunately, they shifted the elective. They wanted me to do a bunch of testing and things like that in the elective. And I was like, nope, that is really going to detract from the safe space that I created. So I chose to discontinue the course, but I started life coaching on the side because I, I just loved the work and it really just then took off from there. And that was, that started in 20, I started teaching that course in 2014, but the life coach training happened in 2016. Mm. So this is something that as a young little girl, this is you, you wanted to teach, you wanted, this is something you envision yourself doing? Or, yeah. Or, so or, it's interesting that you're, you were, you brought that up because it, it actually was full circle. The reason I create, the reason I became a high school teacher was because I was a really bad, bad teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I was the girl that parents never wanted their kids hanging out with. Okay. I, I got into a lot of trouble. You know, I was doing all kinds of crazy, terrible things behind my parents' back. I didn't get along with my parents. I ran away from home. I mean, I was, I mean, and to be honest, I had a great time. Like I had a blast as a teenager, but I was out of control. And in hindsight, I, I, um, I actually, when I graduated I didn't go straight to college because I had basically been a perpetual truant in high school, meaning I cut class so often that I was classified as a truant. I got all C's, D's, and F's from sophomore to senior year. I was a mess. And they really only graduated me because they really didn't want to deal with me <laughs> anymore. Um, and so I had to go to community college and, and literally I had to repeat all four years of high school in community college because I had to make up for, I wasn't there. And if I was there, I was usually under the influence of something. Mm -hmm. So I was really not, I had to repeat it all. So I repeated all four years at city college of San Francisco, where I'm from San Francisco. And then I, and then I did two more years at city college, right. Cause I had to now do my first two years of undergrad before I could transfer. And my turnaround was, was dramatic. I had gone from being this totally wild, the total wild child too. I was still pretty wild in my twenties, but I figured out how to balance the wild with the focus. And so I ended up transferring from city college of San Francisco to UC Berkeley, which was beyond everybody's wildest dreams. Like nobody thought, I mean, I was such a, you know, like nobody would have thought that I could have gotten into Berkeley. And so when I did, it was a huge confidence boost for me. Cause I was like, yeah, I can go from being this total F up of a kid mm -hmm. to going to UC Berkeley. And then when I got to Berkeley, I graduated summa cum laude, meaning I graduated with, I think it was like a 3.87 or something like that. Right. I got one B while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was so proud of myself for doing that work. And so after I graduated, I'll never forget. I was talking with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And I said to him, I was like, I was like, I don't understand why anybody didn't like try to help me People like my parents tried to control me. They put me, they took me to therapy. They gave me consequences, but none of it worked. And I thought to myself, why wasn't there ever an adult who just sat me down and was like, Leah, do you understand how these choices you're making are going to impact you later? Because when I reflected, I was like, I didn't realize that I was going to have to repeat high school. I thought I just had to get through high school and then I could go on to do whatever. But like, I didn't understand how it worked, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, I think I want to go back and teach high school because I, I want to be that adult that understands kids who aren't, who don't want to be at school, who would rather be partying all the time. I want to help them navigate that a little bit better. So the whole reason that I became a high school teacher was not because I was particularly interested in teaching Spanish, although I did love bilingualism, but 
I, it was more about having access to kids who were struggling and being able to help them navigate their lives differently. So at my heart, in my heart, I think I was always a life coach in that way, because that's why I wanted to teach. So then I ended up going on to get a master's degree at Stanford University, actually, which again, blew my mind because nobody thought that this girl could have done that and then becoming a teacher. And so that's kind of how it all kind of came full circle is this wild child, you know, turned academic, turned life coach for for kids and then now for women. But that's very powerful. You know, that's the best life coach there is because you really, you know, went through something that, you know, it's definitely outside of the norm and your yes. challenges. And is there anything in particular that happened to you that you can pinpoint when the turn happens that you went back to and say, okay, I'm going to study? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, I, I, it was very clear. So my friends, my best friends, they also were wild, but they had the balance since high school. So my best friends were the kind of kids who would still do their homework. They would still show up in class, not under the influence, mm -hmm. and they would still show up and do their work. And so they had figured out kind of how to get it done and also still have fun, but they weren't as wild as I was. I was way out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And So what happened was they all ended up going off to college. So, you know, they went to state schools. It wasn't like they were, you know, 4.0 kids in high school, but they didn't need to be, right? They'd figured out how to do that. So, you know, my best friend, a couple of my friends went to San Jose, or I'm sorry, San Francisco State. My best, other best friend went to New York to a SUNY school. So they got to go off and they got to have the college experience. So what I found was that I was stuck at home and I was not only stuck at home, But I had to work because I had to like, whereas they, they didn't have to work or maybe they worked on campus, but they could go to their classes in the morning and study. And then, you know, study in the afternoons and then work the cafe at the cafe on campus and their lives just seemed easier. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't fun. <laughs> I don't want to be left behind. And so I, I did, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to community college. I'm going to transfer. because I could see that my life had ended up being not so fun. <laughs> mm. And I wanted it to continue the way that their lives were continuing. And so then when I tried to go to school though, at, at community college, I really struggled because I was still cutting class. I was still, you know, not really showing up. And I'll, I'll never forget my brother actually, who's eight years older than me and who actually dropped out of high school, but he became very successful in his career. He also went on to college and graduated in his very successful career. But I remember my brother saying to me, he was like, Leah, you don't cut class in college, you're paying for it. And I was like, it was like, you know, the thing, like I was like a dumb teenager. I was like, oh, like I, it didn't occur to me. Like I didn't know how to go to school. And so I had to figure it out, you know? And so that was really a turning point for me was figuring out that as much fun as I had in high school, it didn't get me where I was trying to go, which was, I want to still have a lot of fun, but I also want to have some level of success and accomplishment in my life as well. That is great. It's fantastic. So at one point also, then you made your decision, I'm going to stop being an educator and I'm going to go full-time life coach. And yeah. then you found this very important niche, which is, yeah. you know, weight management, weight control. I, I, I was a chubby kid. I struggled to, yes. to that all my early years. It really, you know, it, it, defi it defines you when you have that struggle yes. as a teenager. It, it's something yes. that sticks with you. Um, so, so tell me how you found that, that, that passion ah, to help people that overeat yeah. and, and to help others control. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, that's a, a really important actual, uh, turning point for me because I also was a chubby kid. I 
started dieting at nine, you know, because the pediatrician told my mom that I need, you know what I mean? It's that whole thing. Yes, and my yes. mom very carefully tried to tell me, but it was, you know, so, and then it was yo-yo dieting from the age of nine until the age of pretty much 36. But what, what happened for me was I went to life coach training as you know, you know, the whole story. And at that time I heard about weight loss coaching and I, I Leticia, I'm not exaggerating. I literally had the thought, well, that sounds like a scam because if that worked, I would have done it by now because I had done every diet, right? I weight watchers, carbohydrate addicts, South beach, like you name it, I'd done everything. And I thought that's gotta be a scam. Even though I was bought into life coaching, I still thought that <laughs> weight loss coaching had to be a scam. And so I just ignored it for two years. Um, I didn't even, uh, and the way that I found out, um, the way that I finally opened up my mind to it was I learned a tool and it's the same tool that I actually teach for free. Your listeners can go get it right now. It's a, it's a video less than 20 minutes long called eating without fear. And they can get that at leahpinelli.com. But what I learned I learned that tool on accident. I was literally listening to a podcast, walking to grab lunch. And I, the podcaster started talking about this tool called the hunger scale and how to use it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never tried that before. I'll try it. And, and that exact day I picked up my lunch. It was Vietnamese spring rolls, which is my favorite food, Vietnamese spring rolls. And um, I think I got like a bun, which for those of you who speak Vietnamese, I'm sure I just mispronounced that, but that's what I got. <laughs> And I remember going back to my office. I was at that time a dean of uh, student discipline of high school. Oh boy, um, <laughs> ironic. Which was, it was, yeah, it was ironic. But that's why I went into that position, right? It was because I want the kids who are getting in trouble, like bring them to me. You know, those are my kids. But anyway, so I was sitting there and I remember I, pra- I, I was like, let me try it. Let me try this tool, right? And I practiced it right there. And I was shocked at how quickly my body told me that I was no longer hungry. Because normally I would just, I can eat. I know exactly how much I eat. I eat the whole spring roll, which is usually four pieces. And then I have the bun and maybe I don't finish the whole bun, but like, it's just, it was just automatic how I was eating. And all of a sudden when I paid attention, I was like, oh, wow, this is really different. So I set my spring roll aside and I went back to it later when I was hungry. Now, I just want to be clear. This is different than mindful eating. Um, Mindful eating is something that as a very busy mom and professional woman, I don't have time for. (laughs) I'm all for mindfulness. Don't get me wrong. And I actually teach mindfulness and I still teach meditation and mindfulness to my clients, but I don't have time to sit there and pay really close attention to my meals every single time that I eat. I have other things to do. I'm I'm busy, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to spend that much time and energy thinking about my food. So it was a different way of approaching really my hunger and my satiety levels. It was it was different. So when I started practicing that, I found that I was able to recalibrate my hunger because I didn't even know when I was hungry because I never let myself get hungry. You know, as women were often told, don't let yourself get hungry. Make sure you're carrying a snack in your purse because it's like this whole fear of like, if we get hungry, we're going to go crazy and we're going to run into the kitchen and eat the whole fridge. And, you know, it's just like, we don't trust ourselves and we certainly don't trust ourselves with hunger. But when I allowed myself to become familiar with hunger in a very healthy way, that was like, oh, this is my body giving me clues as to when to eat. And then also when you let your body tell you when it's hungry, your body will also tell you when it's no longer hungry so that you can stop eating. But I had a lot of fear around hunger. And so I would just stuff myself, you know, I would overeat chronically. Um, so it's, it really started there. I started using that tool and I lost seven pounds without dieting, without changing anything. I just started paying attention to hunger and I stopped eating when I wasn't hungry. 
Um, and so then I got really curious. I was like, okay, I just lost seven pounds. I haven't lost weight in, you know, 20 years or 15 years. I am so curious as to what just happened. So then I started down that path of really learning about weight loss coaching. And what I learned and what I now teach to my clients is that it's about your mindset for sure. It's about emotional eating. It's about the way we think about food. It's about using food for comfort. It's all of that that's really important to dive into. But it was also about the fact that I had a real hormonal imbalance. I was often having strong cravings for food that are biochemical, right? Like this wasn't me making it up. I didn't have some, I wasn't, didn't have some weak will. I was truly craving those dark chocolate covered peanut butter cups every night because of a chemical reaction that was happening in my brain. So when I was able to combine the psychology with the neuroscience, this beautiful world we live in now where we can, we actually understand these you know, these fields conceptually, I was able to put those two together to actually solve for my chronic overeating and my chronic emotional eating. And when I did that, I lost 30 pounds. And, and here was the thing though, the more importantly is that was 30 pounds ago. And that was nearly five years ago, but, but more importantly, it was the mental real estate that was freed up. I no longer am thinking about food or whether I should have eaten that or whether my pants are going to fit tomorrow or what's the next diet I should go on or am I going to weigh 190 pounds next year? I don't ever have to think about this stuff anymore. And so what happened is I had all this freed up space and I thought to myself, wait a minute, if, if every woman who's suffering the way that I was suffering could also have access to this, what I call freedom, this food freedom, and therefore then she can redirect all of that mental space to raising kids to following her passion with her business or her career running for office. You know, like there's so many things that we women could be doing with this mental real estate. And then I just got really crazy. I'm on on this total mission because I'm like, I want to help us reclaim that mental space for ourselves because we can, and we don't have to, we don't have to live in bodies that we don't feel at home in. We can feel at home in our bodies and also not struggle with food and weight anymore. And so that's that's what I do now, full time. Wow, that's really yeah. fascinating. And and I wonder because you touch upon something like that, like, you know, if you talk to people that struggles with with that into, you know, not being able to to find your pace, because I think that's what happened. So to me, the the what made the difference is I, I, my parents are Italian. My mom is a great cook. And she was the kind of mom that will make you exactly what you wanted to eat. It's not like I'm going to cook one dish and if you don't like it, fine. No, she will make five different dishes to please every each one of us. So like that, you know, it's impossible almost to like uh, not gain weight. But once I left home to come to study in the U.S., then immediately I started losing the weight, you know, and I started, as you say, finding my own balance into what I really need. Yes. And, uh, and thank God, you know, uh, you know, I'm always bad, bad is, uh, the mentality is always there. Like I, I learned yes. counting calories very early on and I still now like I not the count. I am aware of, OK, if I'm having that, I'm not going to have that or, you know, like to, to understand. Yeah. yeah. But but uh, it, it is true that there's people that they want to do the diet, they want to do the thing. And then it gets to a point where there's certain self-sabotage. We're almost like yes. they feel that they cannot make it. And even knowing that you're doing something that you're going to regret because now you start overeating. So it's almost yes. like when you cannot get it done, it's almost you go into completely the opposite side of the spectrum where, oh, heck, I don't, this is not going to happen. I, it's almost like you let yourself go and go even more. 
Yes. Uh, what what have you seen from your own experience? What do you think that happens? Oh, I, that's this is like this. You're you're hitting on exactly every single client that comes to me is. I mean, I shouldn't say every single, but I cannot think of a single one mm-hmm. <laughs> who is not a like kind of perfectionist thinker in the way that you were just describing. Meaning, either I'm all good or I'm all bad. So either I'm on the wagon or I'm off the wagon. I'm either eating healthy or I'm eating bad. You know, and so what ends up happening is is you know, we, uh, we have these grandiose plans where we're like, okay, starting Monday morning, I'm going to have a green smoothie for breakfast and a healthy chicken salad for lunch. And then I'm going to have, you know, and we make all these plans. And then by Thursday or even by Monday night in my world, but by the evening, what ends up happening is that we are stressed. We are tired. We are overwhelmed. We are overworked. There are all of these other things at play here. And then, you know, your husband walks in the door with a pizza because he forgot that you were going to eat healthier or your colleagues want to go out and grab nachos and margaritas and it's Friday and you're like, I deserve it. Right. And you do. But, but the problem there though, is that's where the self-sabotage comes in. We often move from this place of either I'm being really good and I'm eating right. Or once I've started to quote unquote, eat badly, I then just throw in the towel and I might as well just eat all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I call that getting a case of the efforts. Right. Cause you're like, oh, well, effort. I already had the margarita. So I might as well have another one. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, effort. I already had the nachos. So I might as well get the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we end up really swinging on this pendulum constantly. And where, what the work that I do with my clients is really to, there, there's a couple of things. I have a program. It's called 90 Days to Food Freedom. And it's where I walk clients through. 90 days of really undoing exactly that. The problem is that usually what's happening is that we have restricted ourselves too much. And so we're, we're not feeling a lot of pleasure. We're not feeling a lot of joy. We're not loving that green smoothie. We're not loving our lunch. We're not really enjoying it. So then our brains are like, man, this is hard. You're working really hard. You deserve a brownie. You deserve a break. And, and the truth is, is that we use so much willpower throughout our day for so many other things. Like every time you make a decision, you're using some level of willpower. And so what ends up happening is, is when you get tired and when you get stressed, the willpower is gone. You can't rely on willpower. And then if you've planned to eat something that isn't really delicious and, and, and safe and satisfying, then your brain's going to be like, can we just not tonight? Can we just go through the drive-through? Can we just get the, you know, order the takeout? And so then you're, you lose traction in that way. So the approach that I take with my own life and with my clients is that it has to be pleasurable the whole way through because anything that you're doing right now that doesn't feel good, you will not sustain for the rest of your life. So your weight loss will come back, but that I'm sorry, your weight will come back. you you will gain weight again. And that's why 95% of people who lose weight gain it back. And then some it's because whatever you were doing in the beginning wasn't sustainable to begin with. And so the key is to actually find a way of eating that is deeply satisfying and deeply pleasurable, but also allows you to live at your natural weight. And the way that I define natural weight is it's the weight that you weigh when you don't struggle with food. There's no struggle. It's just at peace with food and whatever, wherever your body lands with that is, is, but you're also not having strong cravings and strong hunger right? There, there's this real comfort in your own skin that is possible for all of us, but it really does require solving for over hunger and what I call over desire. And the way you do that is through recalibrating your hormone levels 
And then after that, it's really just dealing with all of the mindset stuff around, you know, being tired or being exhausted or being angry or stressed and going to food for those reasons. Or just, you know, for so many of my clients, it's like, my, I finally get my kids to bed at nine o'clock and all I want to do is open a bottle of wine and get a bowl of popcorn mm-hmm. and a bar of chocolate and sit down in front of the TV with my husband and just, you know, veg. And I get that because we do need that level of relaxation, but it's just the problem is, is that behavior is causing so many more problems in their lives. So it's really about how do I actually get deeply relaxed and have way more pleasure in my life so that food isn't the thing that is fulfilling the pleasure factor for me, that my life can be better than food. I, I totally agree with, with with what you say. I think the sustainability thing, when I see people doing this crazy thing and say, that's not sustainable, that's not right. something. And and uh, I guess because of the trial and error, you know, I, I totally agree with you. It's finding what you can sustain easy, that's right. that it doesn't that's feel, right. and then always checking in with, what it feels good to you. Like I know how I like my clothes to fit. And the moment yes. I realize it's, oh, maybe it's a little tighter than I like. I just do maybe three, four days where I even pay a little bit more attention. Yeah. And then it's right back to where you want it That's to be. Right. That's and right. it never becomes that such a big, big undertaking that you yeah. know that 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 it it could become if you That's really right. take it as an all or nothing situation. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's very interesting. So I'm curious because you mentioned your son and I'm a mom and you started at nine. I started probably my mom took me to a doctor probably at 14 that, you know, check my diet and all that. So I know a lot of these issues start young. Yes. You know, and, and one of the things it's, uh, and I have it at home, I have a very good, <laughs> two very healthy eaters. And yeah. so you also, as a mom, you start wondering, when do you take action? So I'm curious because I'm sure there's a lot of moms out there that have the same question and you are an expert. Knowing what you know, what do you think it's a, it's a reasonable age where, where one should like become maybe a little bit more active into the way your kids are eating? Mm, Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, that's a great one. So, I mean, first and foremost, I'm clearly not a child psychologist or a child behaviorist or anything like that. I only can speak from my own experience, but from the time my son was born, well, from the time that I really, I started, so he was, he was probably, let's say I actually started in about 2017 was when I started to dabble into weight loss coaching. And so he was about three, two and a half, three years old. And the approach I've taken ever since then has always just been to decouple emotion from food. And of course, we obviously have emotional responses to food, right? There's no way we couldn't, right? Like you think about your mother's cooking, you know, and that elicits emotional response. Same with me, that we have emotional associations with food. But what my goal was, was to never impose any kind of like stress or power uh, or struggle or strife around food. So If my son said, you know, I don't like that, or I don't want that. It was like, okay, you don't prefer that today. Okay, that's fine. There wasn't any pushing. Now, my husband sometimes would push and I would have to remind him like, we're not pushing. But because when we push, as everybody knows with kids, the more you push, the more they push back. So it doesn't really work. But I understand where it's coming from as a parent because we start to panic and worry. I mean, this is, I think we're hardwired to worry about our children's, you know, nutritional health. But at the same time, I always just tried to remind myself that I didn't want him to associate any kind of strong emotion with food. 
And so that was really important to me. So of course, when he's really little, I could give him the options and the only options he was getting were relatively healthy ones. So I wasn't like offering him a happy meal along with broccoli, because obviously we would all choose the happy meal over the broccoli, right? But instead I was conscious about what I was offering him. But once he got to kindergarten, I I remember this really distinctly because at his preschool, the teachers would always send home the lunch exactly so we could see how much they ate, right? Well, once he got to kindergarten and he was eating in the cafeteria, he figured out that he could throw his lunch away and nobody would know what he, like mommy wouldn't know if he had vegetables, you know, cause he was getting it. He wanted to get it at the cafeteria. And so that was the first time that he really realized he had some agency with food that he could choose things that I might not offer to him. And so then he did become really, you know, um, into sugar and all the things that kids, that humans love and that kids love. Um, and so really it's just been a matter of, I've always tried to just keep it as neutral as possible so that I'm not getting upset and I'm not engaging in a power struggle. And that I really feel like came from being a teacher. Like I learned that the hard way, figuring out that when you engage in a power struggle with a teenager, you lose every time. So, because no matter how it turns out, you lost. And so really really being intentional about not engaging in a power struggle. So in our house, for example, you know, we, we, I don't permit my son to have seconds on pasta or rice or things like that. If he hasn't eaten plants and I always say plants. So if you don't like the plants that are on the table, whether it's like last night, we had Brussels sprouts and broccoli. If he does like broccoli, he's not a fan of Brussels sprouts. But if you're not in the mood for broccoli tonight, I don't care. You can go get a mango. You can go get a banana. Like, I don't care what the plant is. I'm not going to worry about, you know, mangoes have more sugar than broccoli. I'm not worried about that. It's just, you have to eat plants. That's the bottom line. And you can't eat more of the other stuff until you've eaten some plants. And you can choose your plants, but you got to eat plants. So really trying to just give him that like foundational, you have to eat plants, you have to eat some fat and you have to eat some protein before you go eating a bunch of sugar. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And, mm -hmm. and, And really trying to not, freak out, you know, about any of it, because I know part of it is developmentally totally appropriate for kids to turn away from bitter greens and things like that. And so just allowing it to evolve without imposing a bunch of emotional and psychological drama. That's great. That's, uh, that's very useful. And I know you also talk often about how we can avoid passing our own issues that we struggle with as a, you know, uh, any body issues we had to pass it to our daughters or how do yes. we prevent from kind of giving them that baggage? Exactly. So the number one thing that we all must do is we have to reconcile it for ourselves because every client that I have with children has said to me, oh, I never talk about this in front of my kids. My kids don't, I, I'm really careful about what I say. And I believe them. They they are really careful, but our kids still see it. My mom never with that one exception of when the pediatrician told her to put me on a diet when I was nine, she never suggested a diet after that. But I remember watching her count points at the table for Weight Watchers. It was so subtle. She wasn't making a big deal out of it. She wasn't making everybody diet. She she never said, oh, I look terrible. I look fat. She didn't do any of that. It was just so subtle. But research shows that when girls are looking to our mothers to figure out how we're supposed to be in the world. And so when we see our moms, you know, even if we think that they're not, even when when as moms, we think that we're not sending that message, we often are inadvertently. And so it's really about having to get right with yourself first. And really, truly, like if you are at peace with food, then you don't need to worry about passing anything on to your child, except for being at peace with food. Right. 
And so I think that that is going to be the number one thing that we really do have to get right with it ourselves first so that we can change that trajectory for the next generation of girls. Wow, that's that's great. That's powerful. So, so Leah, anything that any other thing we haven't discussed that you're excited about, any projects, anything else? Uh, I want to give you an opportunity, an open microphone to share with uh, the audience. Anything else that yeah, you're yeah. excited about? Well, I'm about to start a new round um, with a new group of women for the 90 Days to Food Freedom program in May. So that's always exciting because that's just really fun to see women's lives transform in a matter of weeks, not only with, for, with weight loss, but with the actual mental transformation. So that's always exciting. And also, um, I just wrapped up an entire series on what an emotional eater is on both my podcast and on Instagram. So I have a podcast called The Life You Crave. I did a series there on emotional eating. I actually did a whole series on how I did it, how I lost 30 pounds and, you know, haven't gained it back. Um, but that ties into emotional eating. Um, and I also talk about that on my Instagram. So you can check that out on my profile. I have a highlight called emotional eating. And that's a good one because so many of us think, oh, I'm not an emotional eater because we always picture like that really sad girl eating directly out of a carton of ice cream in the middle of her kitchen floor at 3 a.m. But that's not, I mean, yes, that that is emotional eating, but that's not usually what it, presents as usually emotional eating looks like what it used to look like for me, which was I'm tired and exhausted after a long day of work. And all I want to do is open a bottle of wine and get out some cheese and crackers and eat and then eat dinner and then have some chocolate while I'm doing the dishes. And, and really that was emotional eating and we've normalized it in our culture, but it actually has detrimental effects for a lot of us. So um, there's a whole series there that people can check out and, and um, people can always find me at my website at leahpinelli.com. That is great. And I will have all these in the show notes for sure. And, uh, you know, I cannot end an interview without asking what makes you tick mm. other than helping others lose weight, which is a great mission. And, and anything yeah. else that when you feel low is your go-to thing, what nurtures well, what, your soul? Totally. I mean, when I feel low and my go-to thing is I'm big on movement. So I love walks, I'm being outdoors. Um, I love Pilates. I love Bikram yoga. All of those things really make me take a good hike with my husband. Um, but I would say, and I kind of touched on this earlier in, in the podcast, in this episode, but something that really makes me tick is connecting with teenagers still. Like I really love, I always say like, I'm a teenager whisperer. I can get teenagers to tell me anything. If you just give me a chance to cultivate a little relationship with them, but that's such a, still such a passion of mine is, and not just female identified teens, but all teens, right? Like regardless of gender, I really am still very passionate about young people in that way. I think, and I think you have a great opportunity, unique, because you have such a strong example of, yes, you had your wild years. Yes. You maybe, you know, didn't think exactly how a parent maybe wants right, your kid right. to, but you turn out great, yeah. you're helping others. So, you know, that's why you, you've been such a great guest here at Back to Basics, because my mission is to show that we all have very strange journeys yes. to get to our life mission. And it's not, a lot of people think that they have to do, have everything perfect and check the boxes and whatever. Right. And it doesn't work. It doesn't always work that way. And it, it almost never works that way. After 160 interviews, right, I right. can almost say that, that every story I've heard is never, very few have been like 
everything was checked on the yeah. box and yeah. everything was perfect. Well, for your parents too, you know, to your point, the parents are maybe worried that that was one of the things that I loved as a dean of discipline is because I was communicating with parents of kids who were often in trouble. And I would tell parents my story so that they could see that like, this isn't necessarily going to end in incarceration or drug addiction. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know yes. it looks that way right now. I know it's so <laughs> scary and so hard, but, you know, but I think the difference between me and some of my friends who did end up in, in those kind of worse off situations was that I had parents who really loved me. They really, they didn't know what to do, but they really loved me. So yeah, that, that keep is loving your beautiful. kids. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you, Leah, thank for you. being part of, of the show. And thank you, everybody. And until the uh, next episode, bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.